to Capernaum after some days, it was reported that he was at home. And many were gathered together so that there was no more room, not even at the door. And he was preaching the word to them. And they came, bringing to him a paralytic carried by four men. And when they could not get near him because of the crowd, they removed the roof above him. And when they had made an opening, they let down the bed on which the paralytic lay. And when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Son, your sins are forgiven. Now, some of the scribes were sitting there, questioning in their hearts, Why does this man speak like that? He is blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? And immediately, Jesus, perceiving in his spirit that they thus questioned within themselves, said to them, Why do you question these things in your hearts? Which is easier, to say to the paralytic, your sins are forgiven, or to say, rise, take up your bed and walk? But that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He said to the paralytic, I say to you, rise, pick up your bed and go home. And he rose and immediately picked up his bed and went out before them all, so that they were all amazed and glorified God, saying, We never saw anything like this. Good morning. It's a privilege to be here once again. We were here last in May of last year. And uh, I must be honest, I did not think that we will be stateside in 2022. When we left the last time, I thought, okay, we'll probably be back around 2023. We usually come every two years. I also enjoyed the announcements this morning when I heard Mercy Hill will be with you all. Uh, Mercy Hill has a special place in my heart. Um, Whenever I think of guys like Sean Derrick, some of you might know him, or my dad, I'm just reminded, uh, you know, good looks are not necessary for fruitful ministry. (laughs) But, But in the case of a guy like Caleb, your new pastoral resident, I've realized good looks don't hurt either. Must be the beard. It really is a privilege to be here. Thank you for the opportunity, Matthew. Uh, when he asked me whether I would be willing, I knew it would be hard work, but such a joy to be able to, as you said, be able to speak with family. We really do feel that. It is not something that we just say to ourselves or that we feel said to us, but we really do feel like we are home. Uh, the first people I greeted this morning said to me, welcome home. Uh, So it feels like home. And as you've heard, we will be looking at this text this morning uh, from Mark 2. But before we get to that, Luciano Pavarotti was a world-renowned Italian opera tenor. Who's heard of him? Pavarotti, good. Some, Some know him. He's maybe still one of the most recognizable opera singers ever known. In 1999, he decided to hold a concert in Pretoria in South Africa at our um, union buildings, which is essentially our capital buildings. There should be a picture uh, up there uh, of what it looked like many, many years ago. You'll, You'll notice there's a tree, and we'll get to that in a moment, right in the middle of the picture. The place for the stage was decided, and the grass fields in front of the union buildings would host thousands of opera lovers. And although these grass meadows are very large, as you can see, there were many more people that wanted to attend than there would actually be tickets for. 
So it was a real struggle to find a ticket. When the finer details of the concert started being nailed down, someone realized that immediately in front of the stage was a memorial tree which had been planted to commemorate some historical event. Now, I tried to look up what exactly the memorial tree was for, and I couldn't find anything. But I do remember, in 1999, as I was delivering the newspaper, that it said that roughly 350 seats would be immediately behind the street, and they would not be able to see the stage. So people started making plans. Move the stage. Well, no, then we lose more than 350 seats. Okay, uproot the tree and move it to a new location. No, it might die, and it's a national memorial. Move the venue. No, the union buildings were very specifically chosen in 1999 as it commemorated five years of South African democracy and the uh, abolition of apartheid. So people were trying to make their own plans, not knowing that the best solution was not yet thought of. Finally, the South African National Council for the Blind offered to buy all of those seats, and they donated them to blind people who had an interest in attending the concert. Sometimes we're not asking the right questions. We know what, we, what the problem is, in this case, the tree. And so we try to make a plan around it. But when the right question was asked, it really changed everything. This morning, we will look at a group of friends who also thought that they knew what the problem was as they brought their paralyzed friend to Jesus. They they saw in their friend a problem. He was lame. And they thought what he needed most was to bring him to Jesus so that Jesus could heal him. And Jesus would, but only after forgiving his sins. You see, Jesus had a different solution. He was asking different, more eternal questions, and Jesus knew that the man needed the forgiveness of sins much more than temporary earthly healing. And here my illustration starts to unravel a bit, as the best solution in the case of the tree was still a man-made plan. It was thought out by men, whereas the, in our text, the solution would be a holy, eternal, divine, and glorious one, the gospel. The friends were asking the wrong questions, but Jesus would bring the ultimate solution in every way. This morning we will see that Jesus is not only able to heal, which has temporary and earthly benefit and is no doubt miraculous, but a much more miraculous and gracious truth is that he is able and has authority to forgive sins, which is the one greatest and only eternal need that we have in this life. May we not primarily run to Jesus for what we think we need, but may we, like Jesus, say, not my will, but thine be done. And may this cause us to rest in him to do not only what is most necessary for our eternity, but also what would bring him the most glory. Amen? Let's pray. Lord, thank you for your word, which is divinely kept for us and has everything we need in order to be able to live a life that brings glory to you. Lord, thank you that you have captured these stories for us that we can look back on and just learn from you again, your affection and love towards us. And Lord, that you are concerned for our eternity. 
May we see this morning what you have for each one of us. May we be driven to application, not just walking away and and not remembering what has been said, but may we be able to go out and apply your word that we may grow into Christ-likeness. I pray in your name. Amen. Amen. My first point this morning is titled, Jesus was primarily concerned with preaching the word. Jesus is primarily concerned with preaching the word. Please read with me the first two verses from Mark, 1, uh, Mark chapter 2. And when he returned to Capernaum after some days, it was reported that he was at home. And many were together together so that there was no more room, not even at the door. And he was preaching the word to them. Our text begins by talking about Jesus returning to Capernaum. Uh, and he was at home. And if you had read Mark 1, you would have seen that Jesus had been very busy traveling throughout all the region and preaching, healing, calling disciples, and he's home now. And if it had been you and me, we would have been ready for a few Sabbath days, right? A week of siestas, time to rest, not so with Jesus. As soon as the report went out that Jesus was at home, people gathered And Jesus began to preach the word to them. What an example of hospitality and care when some peace and quiet may have been appreciated. Jesus' desire to serve his sheep far outweighed his need or desire or preference for personal comfort. It's also striking to hear that Jesus was back home, that people came and pressed in around him. And the text says that there was no more room, not even at the door. If you consider actually just a few verses early in Mark 133, it says, and the whole city was gathered together at the door. And if a whole city gathers at your door, not only is there no room near the door, there's no room probably even in your yard. But the point is that people gave people, people gave Jesus no rest, no room. They did not want to miss a thing. And so we have to ask why? Why were people so eager in mass to press in and be around Jesus? And I am sure that there were many who sincerely wanted to hear Jesus' preaching and teachings about the fact that the kingdom of God was at hand. However, most likely there were also many there who wanted to see miracles. Let's be honest, if Jesus was preaching live this morning at another venue in Midlothian, I would be preaching to empty chairs, as you all would be there. Actually, I'd be there with you. Um, But for many who might be at that venue, they might be there primarily because they want to see Jesus performing miracles. They want to see something out of the ordinary, extraordinary. Others, again, were there as skeptics, as we will see a bit later, Uh, they were there mainly to keep an eye on Jesus, to watch him and to catch him out or rebuke him whenever he might say something that offended their sensibilities and traditions. But Jesus, coming back from this missionary journey, being at home, is primarily focused on preaching the word to them. And the reason why Jesus was focused on teaching the word to them is because the Bible tells us that Jesus is the word. And I'm sure you all know exactly what text I'm referring to, right? John 1.1. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. This word is Jesus. 
He is the word, and therefore it should not be surprising to us at all that he was preaching the word. He was not there to focus on doing miracles or entertain the crowds. Jesus, the word incarnate, was there to teach them and teach them the word because he knew that this is what they needed. He knew this is what we need. Just about two months ago, I had the privilege with a number of my OM colleagues to deliver a donation of 130 mattresses to a school. Uh, I think there are some pictures. And these 130 mattresses cost $15,000. And as moving and as emotional as this event was of delivering these uh, mattresses to these school, we knew that it merely took care of a temporary earthly need. I'm not saying it was unimportant. As it was a way of being Jesus' hands and feet, showing the love of Jesus in a practical way. But if that was all we did for the children that day, if we had made no effort to, by God's grace, introduce them to Jesus, who can forgive sins, it would not have been very loving of us. Again, don't get me wrong. Is it loving to care for the earthly needs of people? Yes. But is it the most loving thing we could do for them? No. Yes, the mattresses were an immediate need, but the children's need to know their Savior is immeasurably greater. And so by God's grace, we also had the opportunity to help them to know that, these, that Jesus loves them and that these mattresses had been provided for by people who love Jesus and that Jesus had made it possible. Talking to them about Jesus was the most loving thing we could do for them that day or any other day. And for these people crammed into this house because Jesus loved them so much he is primarily focused on preaching the word because he is concerned for their eternal souls. For Jesus there could be no comparison between serving the people with the word or serving them by taking care of a temporary need. Jesus preached the word because it contains all we need to live a life glorifying to him and it contains everything we need in order to be made wise for salvation and equipped for every good work, according to 2 Timothy 3. Brothers and sisters, let us not neglect this book. Let us not ask the wrong questions, but let us make time in our lives for the word of God and make it a priority to spend time with our Savior through reading what he has given us in his word. I said earlier that Jesus was a dynamic teacher, and if he was teaching somewhere else this morning, we all might be there. Well, the fact is Jesus, through the application of his word, through the powerful work of the Holy Spirit, he does still teach us today here where we are. He still teaches us as he did the people in that house on that day. That is the power of his word. This book has eternity in view. And let's be clear, eternity for every human is sure. It is either one with God or one separated from him. And everything we need to live a life that is pleasing to the Lord by his grace is captured for us in this word. Let us run to it often. We may not have been able to press into that house on that day where Jesus was teaching but we can press into his word. 
and what we find at times may surprise us, which leads us to the second point. Jesus responds unexpectedly. Uh, Please read with me verses three to five. Jesus responds unexpectedly. And they came bringing to him a paralytic carried by four men. And when they could not get near him because of the crowd, they removed the roof above him. And when they had made an opening, they let down the bed on which the paralytic lay. And when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, my son, your sins are forgiven. Have you ever considered what it took for these four friends, what it meant for them to open up the roof and let down their friend to Jesus? Consider first that they could not even reach the doorway of the house. There was no room at the door. No one wanted to make room for the lame man. No one had compassion on him except his friends. These friends then decide to vandalize this house by carrying their friend up onto the roof. Have you ever tried to carry someone on a bed upstairs? It cannot be easy even for four men. Once they got him up onto the roof, imagine deciding to demolish this roof, which was most likely made of wooden beams covered in straw and clay or mud. Can you imagine being the people inside with grass and clay and wood falling on your heads as this opening is made in the middle of this roof? It must have been quite distracting. Finally, and maybe the most daring Who here would be willing to be tied to a rope and then trust four guys to slowly lower you into a holy gathering of people listening to the preached word? Not only that, the preacher is Jesus. I just imagine this brother coming down from the roof, hitting the floor somewhere close to Jesus maybe even, sitting there looking at Jesus preaching and Jesus, my legs not work I can't walk can you help me and the people are probably quieting him down saying wait he's preaching be quiet and then I think of those who were there for a show right those that wanted to see the extraordinary they wanted to see a miracle and finally here you go Jesus here's a layman this is your opportunity to do something something extraordinary something that we is so amazing we cannot believe our eyes And instead, Jesus does something their eyes cannot see. He forgave the man of his sins. Now, can anyone here whose sins have been forgiven show us? Is there a way to prove that your sins are forgiven? There's no way for us to see it with our eyes. So Jesus, again, does not indulge the crowd, but does something completely different and significantly more miraculous than what the crowd expected and wanted. They were asking the wrong questions. Instead, Jesus shows himself as a true Messiah, a true savior and servant, serving us with the word and forgiving our sins. Could Jesus just have healed this brother from the very beginning? Yes, but that was not the most loving thing that Jesus could do. Because whether this brother knew it or not, he had an eternally and monumentally bigger and more dire situation that made his lame situation pale in comparison. His soul was headed to eternal damnation in hell. Healing of his physical state would have brought him no closer to eternal life. 
but the forgiveness of his sins meant that he was right with God. It secured eternity in the presence of the creator for him. He has been known by the Savior. This was the most loving thing Jesus could do for the lame man. You see, Jesus knows our greatest needs are his word, which we considered in the first point, and how Jesus uncompromisingly insisted on teaching the word. And after Jesus preached the word, he then saw the physical need of this lame brother who has just made this very startling entrance into the middle of these, this group of people. But Jesus knew that his greatest need, even though he did not know it, and even though he did not ask for it, was in fact for his sins to be forgiven. Brothers and sisters, is that not the gospel? Though we did not know it, though we were dead in our trespasses and sins, though we did, could not even do anything for ourselves, we could not even ask for a savior. Jesus humbled himself by becoming obedient even to death on a cross. He died because of your sins and mine. He died in your place and mine. He does for us that which we cannot do for ourselves and what many times we don't even know that we need so that our sins may be forgiven, that we may be saved from eternal condemnation so that we too might be right with God and be assured of an eternal audience with our creator. What a mighty God we serve. Jesus not only taught the gospel with words, but he lived out in his actions towards this brother, the gospel, by doing for him that which he could not do for himself, indeed by doing from what he did not know he needed more than physical healing. Amazing. And coming back for a moment to our four friends, they had faith. Uh, the text says that Jesus saw their faith. And now I have to ask, faith for what? Faith for a healing, right? And yet Jesus, seeing their faith for a healing, decided to forgive the lame man of his sins. So the fact that they had faith did not mean that they were assured of their desired outcome. Their faith did not somehow twist Jesus' arm. All these four friends could do was to bring their friend into the midst of Jesus and then trust and have faith in whatever Jesus might do. Do you have friends, family, or neighbors that need to be brought into Jesus' presence physically or maybe even through prayer? Are there relationships we need to lay at Jesus' feet in faith, metaphorically speaking, Is there someone you need to share the gospel with? Is there someone you know you are supposed to invite to church or to a community group? Are you living in a certain way around non-believers that makes Jesus' presence tangible to others? Do you need to change how you live, act around others so that they too can see Jesus in you? Do you have faith for the salvation of your parents, siblings, friends, or neighbors? Do you pray for them? Do you believe that Jesus is a God of compassion and mercy who has authority over everything he created? Are you willing to bring those friends, family, neighbors to Jesus, even at great cost and effort to yourself? Because that is all these four friends did. 
And then they trusted in the goodness of Jesus to do whatever he would do for his glory. Brothers and sisters, church is not only about being a bunch of people who know and love Jesus enough to press into the house until there is no room left at the door of the church. We have the opportunity to bring those people who have no ability to do it for themselves, who are not seeking, who do not even know that they need to be forgiven into God's presence, both at corporate and family events as we have this morning, but by grace, because of the word, we can bring people into God's presence when we go out to them, teaching and preaching and living out the gospel towards these people wherever we work, live, buy groceries, exercise, or whenever we sit in DMV lines. And just like these friends did, we can then trust our Savior to do what only He can do in forgiving and transforming lives. Let us not hold back in making Jesus known and bringing people to Him in prayer wherever and whenever we have the opportunity to do so. Amen? Amen. Amen. And then in our story, a question was raised. Because at this point, no one knew whether the layman's sins actually had been forgiven. They couldn't see that the paralyzed man's sins were forgiven. And this uncertainty translated into not knowing whether Jesus is who he claimed to be. And this then leads us to the third and final point. Jesus heals to prove his authority as the Son of God. Please read with me verses 6 through 12. Now some of the scribes were sitting there, questioning in their hearts, why does this man speak like that? He is blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? And immediately Jesus, perceiving in his spirit that they thus questioned within themselves, said to them, why do you question these things in your hearts? Which is easier, to say to the paralytic, your sins are forgiven, Or to say, rise, take up your bed and walk. But that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins, he said to the paralytic, I say to you, rise, pick up your bed and go home. And he rose immediately, picked up his bed and went out before them all, so that they were amazed and glorified God, saying, we never saw anything like this. In verses 6 and 7, we see the scribes questioning in their hearts. Not out loud, they didn't voice this. And they questioned why Jesus was forgiving sins. Because they believed that only God can forgive sins. And they were right. Only God can forgive sins. So the point is not that the scribes had a wrong heart or mind towards God and his laws but rather that they were so blinded by jealousy and traditions that they did not even know they were in the very presence of God. They were asking the wrong questions. You see, the problem was not that they doubted the work. They doubted the worker. And here lies the amazing difference between the scribes and the friends. The scribes believed in forgiveness, They just did not believe that Jesus was the Messiah, the Son of God, and so they doubted the worker. The four friends, on the other hand, had faith for a healing, and instead their friend was forgiven, 
Why? Because Jesus did not respond to their faith for a particular work. He responded to their faith in who he was and is. Contrary to the scribes, the friends believed Jesus was the Son of God. And their faith in Jesus as God incarnate meant that Jesus answered a different and more eternal question, one that they were not even asking. We may not always understand or have faith in why God is allowing certain circumstances in our lives, trials, tribulations, sins, hardship, false accusations, physical or spiritual attacks, but we should always be able to have faith in the fact that he is a good God whose ways are higher than our own. The scribes' shortcoming was not in what they failed to believe, it was in whom they failed to believe. And so because of the lack of, the, of faith of the scribes in who Jesus was, Jesus decides to show them, twice actually, that he is in fact the son of God. He shows, or rather proves to them his, uh, his divinity the first time when he spoke to their thoughts. Can you imagine watching the speaker named Jesus and you have a thought in your heart and mind and immediately as you have this thought in your mind, you say, why is he saying that such things? Only God can do that. Jesus turns to you, looks you in the eye and speaks to your thoughts. He speaks out loud and rebukes what they were thinking in their hearts and minds in front of everyone. That would already be pretty convincing that this just might be the Son of God. And now before I move on, I feel compelled to interject here a thought to those of us who may feel a lack of faith for some circumstance in our lives. And listening to me saying that Jesus is about to heal the lame man in order to prove his divinity may cause us to want the same proof. We too may be tempted like so many that day to want an outward work that proves to us that Jesus is here, he knows my situation, and he will solve this problem in a way that I find favorable. Friends, our faith cannot be in anything but who Jesus has showed himself to be. Messiah, Savior, Provider, Promise Keeper, Gracious One, Slow to Anger and Abounding in Steadfast Love, the Beginning and the End. This is a God we can trust implicitly. That is a sure foundation of our faith. But if we, like so many on that day, build our trust on a work or a proof that becomes shifting sands. Our Jesus, on the other hand, is the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow. Amen. But Jesus then asks them, why do you question in your heart? What is easier, to say your sins are forgiven or to say, rise, take up your bed, and walk? Really, he's asking them, what is more profound and miraculous to say your sins are forgiven or to say rise and walk and actually the forgiveness of sins is eternally more profound and miraculous but they could not see it and because they were so bent on what they came there to see an outward proof that they preferred a physical miracle rather than an eternal and an internal one of the heart 
And so Jesus healed the lame man to show his divinity a second time, as if to say to the scribes, you of little faith, you doubting Thomases, you can't see it and so you don't believe. But let me show you something that you can see so that you may know not only that I am the Son of God, but that you thereby can know since I am fully God, that I do have authority to forgive sins and that I am to be worshipped as Messiah. Now the idiom doubting Thomas, as I'm sure you all know, comes from one of Jesus' disciples who failed to believe the accounts of other disciples when they told him that they had seen the risen Christ. And after refusing to believe, Jesus shows himself to Thomas. And when Thomas then responded in faith, Jesus said, have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Now, let me ask you a question, and this illustration might be more appropriate in Africa, but who here believes there is a pulpit on stage? Do you believe it or do you know it? You know it, right? Because you can see this pulpit. We're not having to uh, encourage any of you to have faith in the fact that a pulpit is here. You see it and you know there is a pulpit on the stage, but... If I changed it and said, who of you believe your car is still outside? That is a bit different, especially in an African context. You hope your car is still out there. You have faith in that your car is probably still out there, but you cannot see your car right now. And God, however, calls us to the unseen, to have faith in the unseen. And to drive that point home again, How did the people in our text respond? They were amazed and said, we never saw anything like this. Saw. They saw a miracle and were amazed. But when the very Son of God was standing before them, teaching the word of God to them and forgiving the sins of men, they were unamazed. They did not see anything and therefore doubted. Brothers and sisters, I wonder how often we do the same even with our own salvation. Are we sometimes unamazed at the forgiveness of sins? Maybe our salvation does not feel as tangible or visible today as it has at other times. Do we forget how much we have been forgiven of? Are we still in awe of a God who would condescend to earth in order to die in our place so that he might offer to us eternal life? Are we amazed at the opportunity we have to share Jesus with others? Are we eager to share Jesus with others? Does the fact that we have been given eternal life still bring us to our knees and praise and worship and adoration and thanksgiving? Let us not be like the unbelievers who questioned in their hearts Let us not be more concerned with God's physical and visible provision and answering of our prayers than we are at the fact that we have been adopted as sons and daughters of the living God. And so in closing, we have a great high priest who never asks the wrong questions. Jesus was focused on teaching the word to those people in that house on that day because he is the word. But his word has also been divinely 
and graciously and miraculously been preserved for us so that Jesus also teaches us today here in Midlothian or in Namibia or wherever his word is opened this morning. Jesus also did for us the most loving thing anyone has ever done when he died in our place. And as the friends did, we now have the amazing privilege and responsibility and mandate of bringing people into Jesus' presence, sometimes physically, but other times through prayer. And finally, Jesus did not respond to the faith of the friends for a particular work, but he responded to their faith in who he is. Do we believe that? Do we believe that he is a good God with good plans that will ultimately be for our good and for his glory, even when we cannot see it? Knowing that he is in fact, knowing that he is in fact who he claimed to be when he forgave the lame man's sins, our Savior, and knowing that he will accomplish all his will according to uh, all his will according to the purposes and the counsel of his will. That is an eternal comfort. Let us rest not in what we know, but in who we know. Or much, much greater, let us rest in the one who knows us. Amen. Let us pray. Lord, thank you again for the reminder that your word is all we need to, enable, to be able to be made wise for salvation and that we have this word, Lord, to be able to take to others, to take Jesus' presence to those who are not able to do it for themselves, indeed who do not know that they need you. Lord, I pray that all of us would be driven to press into your word where you continue to teach us today, but that we also will be driven and encouraged by the fact that you are a good God and you know what is best, Lord. And we ask that you will do not necessarily what we only ask for, Lord, but that you will do what brings you the most glory, that your name may be exalted in all the earth and that everyone will be able to say, that is our Savior. That is our heart's cry in Jesus' name. Amen.